Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Greg's Garage Pod with co-host Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. Bike911.com, your place for information if you need some help with contracts, if you're in some legal trouble or whatever, go reach out to Alex Asante. He'll be able to help you out. Tell him Jason Pridmore sent you from the Greg's Garage Pod with co-host Jason Pridmore. So at this point, let's welcome in golf star, legend, <laughs> hole-in-one. Yeah. JP, what's up, Dude. JP? Andrew Lee made a hole in one this week. Dude, he I actually saw that. made. Is that great? That's pretty cool for Andrew. Yeah, I razzed him because I'm like, hey, took me 20 years to make a hole in one, and he's only been playing golf for two or three years, but legit made a hole in one. Good for him. How are we doing, Greg? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm fine. You know, a week away from getting on an airplane to uh, Florida to shoot another national competition, and I am completely unprepared. So that's mm. that's that's good news. You know. Okay. I'm in the grind mode too. I'm doing it too. What you? Hey, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Hey, how about the Bruins, huh? We're gonna talk about MotoGP because that happens. That's the Boston Bruins. The in case anybody cares, it's the Boston Bruins. Uh, how do you blow a three-one lead? The Bruins did it and find live time. in Boston, both, both home and away. Yeah, it's great. Brady doesn't play for the Bruins, does he? <laughs> Brady doesn't play for anyone anymore. Seems like things have gone downhill a little bit since old Tommy left town. Yeah, yeah. It better not be the Brady curse. I don't want to hear that. Do you see who the Patriots just picked up, though? Nope. Juju Smith-Schuster. The dude can catch a ball. Yeah, he's 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 a baller. Just needs somebody to throw it to him. We we Jones Mm -hmm. is his name. Yeah. Good luck. You know. Yeah, I know. Anyway, we're gonna talk about MotoGP Jerez, MotoGP Fantasy, because that was kind of a another weird weekend with fantasy. We'll talk a little bit about World Superbike Catalonia and a little bit about Supercross, Supercross Fantasy. But first, let's just get to our news presented by Arai. Oh. Well, Jason Pridmore, from MotoGP to Formula One, Arai is chosen by many top riders and drivers, and this offers Arai a wealth of feedback at the highest level of racing. Many F1 drivers and top-level motorcycle racers use standard Arai sizes. Just think of it. Standard Arai sizes are good enough for world championship contenders to perform at their peak under the most extreme race conditions. These are exactly the same size helmets customers can buy at Arai dealers, with micro-fitting options included in the helmet as well. So go visit AraiAmericas.com. Check out their... They have to do it every month. They just keep launching more colors and more colors. And, you know, we got the new helmet out, the Contour X, which I love so much. And, of course, you know, if you play fantasy with us, whether it's Pulp MX Fantasy with Supercross, there's only two rounds left after this, or MotoGP Fantasy, the winner gets an Arai helmet of their choice, and they've been doing this for a couple of years. So visit AraiAmericas.com. Support your podcast. Support the people who make some of the finest helmets in the world. And that is that i'm trying to i'm trying to fade it ah there we go all right you got it you you got it off you're done yeah i'm done um got our music cranking (laughs) so you know there was a test at jerez on monday after uh after the race weekend and i think the biggest thing to come out of that test is the fact that honda was texting that that calyx chassis now they've already had a calyx swing arm but now they have a full frame to test that's matched up and there was an interview with Alberto Puj and um, Juan Mir after the fact. And we have learned that, well, we've learned nothing. So basically, Brottle went out and tested it, and then he crashed it. And then they put it together for Mir to ride. 
in the afternoon. He went one lap electrical problem and that was the end of that. So we don't have any good information to tell you, but that's the, frustrating, huh? That's frustrating. For, dude, it's just like, it's not that Honda's not trying. Okay. No, and it's no. not that Honda's abandoned MotoGP. Their testing luck has been horrible. Pretty I mean, bad. Marquez was out for two complete seasons, you know, like off seasons. He was fine this season, but things aren't going well. Now they've contracted out to Calex, which is just amazing to even hear that HRC's, you know, throwing, you know, that kind of spaghetti on the wall. I yeah. mean, Calex obviously makes really good, but um, there was an article, I think, uh, should I even say it? Because I don't remember who I read it from. Maybe Moto Matters, but um, where they were able to kind of look at the HRC, the, the Calex chassis that HRC is using, and the Moto2 bikes tested on Tuesday. So he went down and looked at some Moto2 bikes that were warming up, and he noticed like the swing arm pivot was like in the identical place, and which wow. was a much different position than it was on the HRC bike. Like the HRC bike has it lower. And I mean, we I cannot stress to you from a technical standpoint how important the swing arm pivot position is in relation to where the shock goes and yeah. you know the linkage and the ratio and the yada yada yada. Go to Westby's, go to Westby Racing's uh, Instagram page, and Chuck Chiquetto is there talking about some parts that are machined, and he gives you a little bit of insight into uh, the linkage because the company that sponsors the team is working on linkages and stuff, but it is very complex. And it was one, it's one of those things, Jay, you know, that when you talk to Stan Boley, it's like, Oh, this guy's got it totally dialed in. Oh yeah. No, it's the thing I think that I can't get over myself when it comes to the Honda stuff is, I mean, and we've talked about it before how Honda in the past has just been the leader of absolutely everything, you know, and we've, we're way past those days now. I get that. But it's crazy to think that now Honda is going to basically other companies to try to help them get themselves out of the hole that they're in. Um, and with Calyx, I mean, what a shame too. I mean, for Mir to go out and do one lap on that bike and then the electrical, um, that poor guy, he is looking for something. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost the Jorge Lorenzo thing all over again, except for Mir has been lucky not to get hurt. Where Lorenzo was getting hurt, Mir is not getting hurt. They said he's already crashed more this year than he crashed all of last year in all the Grand Prix. And, I mean, every time – it just seems like every time you go out, you see Juan Mir has crashed in somewhere. I Look, it's a horrible feeling. I feel so bad for that guy. Um, but he's, he's obviously not comfortable. And for him to actually – Probably, you know, when you're when you're in the position he's in, he's like, okay, it's almost like a new start. We're gonna get a new chassis. I'm gonna get to go out and try it. Let's see if it's better. This might be able to give me the feel that I'm looking for without falling. You do a lap, you have an electrical problem, and then you don't get to ride it anymore. You're just like, oh, it's like, yeah. But why did he? Why? Guy? Why did they have the electrical problem? Because Brottle yeah. fell. That's the problem. That's right. Brottle yeah, crashed, crashed it. With so the, it's like, yeah, but what do you, yeah. you know? My and my guess is happens. it probably just tucked the front. And no, it definitely happens. I mean, yeah, that's, that's what kind happens. of a tester's job, right? Like it happens. And we're going to be talking more about a tester. But what what I also find interesting, Jay, is that you're talking about HRC, who when you and I, you know, were at its peak when HRC, they were the leaders, like you were talking about, right? Yeah. But also, they were competing against the likes of Yamaha. Suzuki was in the mix. Ducati was kind of there. But HRC led the way, and they could lead by being conservative. But it's really Ducati and Gigi Delinia and his entire team that have made these massive leaps in 
the amount of things that have changed MotoGP in the last couple of years all seem to stem from Ducati because they're willing, uh, they're willing to take a risk, you know? And that's yeah. the thing that's so interesting to me about the whole situation is you have HRC in testing. They tested a new Calyx frame, an outsourced frame. You have Aprilia who tested all kinds of stuff, but really they're still, they had a new swing arm there, but they're really trying to dial in their starts because they're getting crushed off the starts. You have Yamaha. All they did was like a little bit of arrow and a dual exhaust. They're not really doing much. Quadraro is not very happy. Then you have KTM who backed up a truck of parts and just started whipping parts at the boys. And some of that was the bike that we saw uh, Danny Pedroza race. You know, mm. it, def it definitely was a different bike. And, and, and then you have Ducati. You know what Ducati yeah. did at the test, JP? No. They tried long stroke forks. For Peco. Oh, yeah, they're pretty dialed in. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're they're pretty dialed in. I yeah. mean, they are. They're uh, obviously they're dialed in. And KTM, I mean, I know they've been around for a while now, but they're still in the infancy stages of what MotoGP is. I mean, they they are now they they were the team that was going to certain tracks and they knew they'd be good. Now they're a team that's unloading at every track and feeling like they can be good. So, and, and Jay, you, when this, you say they're a team, I mean, they do. <clears throat> Every one of the, you know, Brad Binder and and Jack Miller both were so complimentary to Danny Pedroza after the race. Correct. Just constantly gave him his props about his development. But you cannot underestimate the impact that Miller has had coming straight from Ducati with his crew chief and yep. how they get that bike to deal with horsepower and bringing that and plugging that into the KTM machine. Uh, that's that to me, it's the personnel hiring Danny Pedroza. It's hard to think that Pedroza hadn't raced since 2018 and he's still, he's still as fast as he was, but that shows you how good the bike is too. Like take nothing that's away what from I'm him. Saying. Yeah, no, he's no, still, no, he has that competitiveness in him still, but the job is made a little easier for him because he tests that bike and because it's so good and, and all those things. I mean, he's not going to put himself out there unless he thinks that the bike is good enough to be competitive and keep in mind, He's tested a lot at Jerez, which is great. It's track he knows. Obviously, he's got a corner named after him there. Yeah. But you can't – and please understand, I'm not taking anything away from him. What he did this weekend was remarkable. I sent you a text before the weekend saying he won't finish top 10 because I figured he would just get swallowed up. You said, yep, I agree with you. We were both wrong. The guy rode incredible and um, and held his own. Like in the sprint race, he kept on the back of that train You know, at the front. He, he was right there for the majority. And, uh, and then the GP, he, I mean, the guy just rode great all weekend long. And I mean, you couldn't help but read the things that were being said about him and looking at his social media and all that. And just knowing what an unbelievable fun time and weekend that must have been for him. He said it was one of the funnest weekends of his entire career. And, and, it, and it would be. And you can see the team unity that KTM has. I thought it was pretty cool, for sure. I think it's and what, what also Danny said was he goes <clears> in, in the sprint race. I kind of settled into his position. I think he was sixth in the sprint race or somewhere around there. And he said, I settled in and I just didn't want to make a pass because I didn't want to kind of get in anybody's way. I hadn't raced in a while. And he goes, but we get to the, the feature race and I started making passes and I just kept running wide and making mistakes. And so yeah. I kind of settled back there. He said, but I could see my two teammates up ahead of me at the front. And yeah. that's what brought him a lot of, you know, a lot of joy, a lot of satisfaction. And that, that was really cool to see. And it just shows you, Jay, just how important now having a test team is. And although Dorna keeps going like, hey, we're going to limit testing, we're limiting, you know, the amount of days you can test, those tests aren't, you know, they can't control those tests. And so the right. the money they think they're saving 
they're now having to spend on higher salaries for test riders. And, you know, you and I speculated as we continue on with the news presented by Arai on what was going to happen to Sylvain Gintoli because Gintoli was unbelievable at Suzuki. And it turns out, and I didn't know this and I'm sure other people do, but I'm reading an article on GP1 that's talking to uh, Michelin's manager, Terramasso, and he's just talking about Morbidelli bitching and moaning about the tires. And of course, everybody's bringing up the front tire issue and how it's hot, too hot, and which means tire temperature, pressure, sorry, is too high. For those people that don't really understand it, if you have a higher temperature in your tire, it's actually going to generate more heat. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you have a lower temperature or lower pressure in your tire, it actually can create less temperature. So Michelin is working on a new front tire that is going to allow the teams to have the same kind of grip, but uh, operate at a lower pressure. And so obviously they're going to have to do things like stiffen up the sidewalls and all this kind of stuff. But Jay, the test rider for Michelin, and I didn't know this, and if everybody out there who does know this before us, I apologize, but it's Sylvain Gintoli. So he mm. is the Michelin Michelin test rider. And I just thought to myself, oh my gosh, dude, that is such an acquisition. Now what they've done though, Jay, is he actually gets on a superbike per- prepared bike that has MotoGP derived forks and carbon brakes. This is a direct quote. Wow. Um, the the reason they do that is it has many sensors and allows us to measure internal temperatures and pressures both uh, of the of the tires in turn or whatever. Uh, we managed to collect a lot of information. So I'm actually really excited because, you know, at least Michelin's not sitting back there saying like, well, it is what it is because right. what we do know is with these squatting devices, with aero forcing the front end down with larger carbon disc brakes and bikes that break even harder than they've ever had before that you are going to run into front tire issues. Like for anybody to complain about the front, I think is a little bit weird because it's the situation you're in when you race. Well, there's no question about that. I think that, I was, and you answered my question because I was thinking, I wonder what he's writing. You know, I wonder what he's actually, what he's actually on to try to be able to. Would it be funny if it was the Suzuki? To duplicate it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that would be pretty wild. <laughs> but, been, yeah. Dude, that would have right? been the best solution. Suzuki probably was like, no. If I was yeah. Michelin, I'd be like, how much? Let me. Uh, yeah, that's a bike. good point. You know, I uh, remember when Colin Edwards was, do you remember when Colin Edwards was the Michelin tire tester? I mean, yeah. he was racing full time. Yeah. And he used to tell me that he would be at home. On a Tuesday morning, he'd wake up and they'd say, Colin, we need you here by Thursday morning. And he'd be like, okay. And he would gather his stuff, rip to the airport, fly out Tuesday night, be there Wednesday, test all day Thursday, fly home Friday. And it was like, that's how valuable he was to Michelin at that point. And right now, a guy like Gintley, I mean, is hugely valuable. You know what? The other thing too, Greg, is it's interesting is that when you look at what Pedrosa has meant to KTM and you look what Gintley has meant to Suzuki, Brottle to some extent for Honda. I don't think that they've seen the results. I don't think that's Brottle's fault, by the way. I'm just saying I don't think that they've seen the results that some of the other companies have had. When is it that these companies start trying to poach test riders? You know, like I, bet, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, like day. think how long Danny was with Repsol Honda for his entire career, and it's like it's like where where is it that Honda might go over and go, hey. <laughs> Look what Pedrosa's done over there. Let's wheel the thing out and see if we can get him over here. And I mean, it's really, it's a, it's a crazy world. That that's a whole new thing because test riders never really existed, even up like 10, 12 years ago. 
they weren't like the thing. It, the guys that were actually riding the bikes um, were the guys that were testing the tires. But with the strict mandates as far as testing goes and only being allowed to test so many dates, that's where the loophole is, where these factories, these manufacturers can take a test rider out and go run these bikes around. And that has proven to be invaluable for a company like like KTM. Yeah, if you remember back when Freddie Spencer won his championship where he won 500 Grand Prix and 250 in the same year, I was asking him about it, you know, about that because we used to commentate and stuff together. And I was asking about it one time and he said, you know, that was a thing. It was tiring. But the most tiring thing was doing all the, the test oh. know, because they would he would have to go to France and he would just get on the Michelin test track, Michelin, as he says, and, you know, which is probably prop, more proper to say, but he would get on the Michelin test track and he would just ride, ride, ride. And he said, dude, it just wore him out. It was the oh. probably the, the worst of them all. And when you have a personality like a Freddie Spencer, like a, like a, like an ego and a racer, you know, mm -hmm. someone who just likes the weekend, likes to be surrounded by all the stuff that happens. It's a lonely, it's a lonely oh. job to be a test rider these days, right? You're off in tracks oh. by yourself with your crew, the same six, probably six or seven people, maybe five people. And it can be lonely. And and that's the one thing I look at like a, like a Pedroza. Pedroza was, he was an alien, right? He was oh, one of the aliens. Yeah, he was one of the, the aliens. Yeah. Yeah. And he's adjusted. He did take a couple of years off. He adjusted really well. And I'm, I'm, I'm really curious if people have really called up like a Lorenzo, you know, who's sitting around. He kind of was a little bit younger, obviously Casey Stoner, you know, the, yeah, but uh, he tried. Remember that Yamaha did want Lorenzo and he was too fat. Yeah. Well, he's still a little chunky, whatever he is. I mean, that's what the, that was the thing is like, he wasn't keeping himself fit. And I mean, what did he do? Like two tests and called it dude. Tire testing is the, is okay any testing for that matter is so hard mentally like it was for me anyways when i would go test and uh, it was just it was grueling like when we do the daytona tire test back in the day it was great because it, it felt like an event because everybody was there on those days though like i had done some days with yosh where there was like two of us riding around laguna seca which for a lot of people they go well that sounds like amazing and it, yeah that was amazing uh, when Suzuki came out with the fuel injection, Maladin was getting married. They asked me to go test his bike for a day or two up there. And of course I jumped at that opportunity because I had never ridden super bikes before. So that was like a big deal for me to go do that. And then I've, I've been tire testing at Willow Springs and that is a lonely, lonely, <laughs> I mean, you're out, you're out in the middle of the you know, wild <laughs> oh west out gosh. there. It's and lonely the, when you're there with the entire paddock. <laughs> and, and it's, and you're out there with just like you say, Greg, just your team. You're out there with, you know, with Yosh, it was, I remember it was, it was actually Steve Krebby and I were testing. It was just the two of us. And we had to test a bunch of tires for Dunlop. And that was a grueling day, like just mentally. And I, I more or less told the guys on my team, I said, listen, like once we get started, I don't want to stop. Like no lunch, no nothing. I don't want to like have that, that lull in the day. I want to just keep pounding, like throw tires in. Let's go try them. Cause I was supposed to do basically like five laps on each rear and I think, I think that day we had like 13 or 14 different rear tires to try. Holy because, crikey. Well, we were trying, I think what we were doing pretty, pretty sure we were doing is trying other manufacturers tires as well, because we had tire wars back then. So it was a blind test. So they just put a yes. tire on and said, give us feedback. Yep. yep. And then, mm. and Jim Allen would say, Jay, we need, you know, we need to be within a second of the lap record type of thing. And I'd be like, but it's a Wednesday and there's nobody here and I'm, and it's hot, you know, it's 102 degrees at Willow and. You see the ambulance sitting over there and you're like, yeah, that ambulance is for, for me <laughs> there. You know what I mean? It's like, it was, just it was just you, a yeah. hard, 
you know, me or Crevier, you know, and it was like, it was just a hard, it was very difficult. So I, I really commend guys like Pedrosa and, and the test writers that they have hired now, because that is a very, very difficult job to do. So, yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, keeping on with the news, a little Moto America stuff, the third annual rainy ride to the races. I'm not saying they stole that name from me, but they stole it from me. And Wayne told me, which is fine, is set for the Superbike <laughs> Speed, right? yeah, Speed Fest at Laguna Seca. Uh, it's like a ride basically held in conjunction with the Superbike Speed Fest at Laguna Seca race weekend. Kenny Roberts is going to be there. Eddie Lawson, Bubba Schobert, Kevin Schwantz, Rick Johnson. They've added Carlos Checa and Doug Chandler are all going to be there. And uh, you can go to Moto America's website, kind of take a look at... Uh, at the ride, you can participate. Um, it's like, you know, you'll, it's like limited to 40 riders and it's $500, but it all, all the money raised like $75,000 went to the road racing world action fund, which of course is helping to, to get air fence to the racetrack, deploy air fence and actually buy the air fence. So it's a great cause and you get to hang out with some great people. So go to motoamerica.com to check that one out. And I, did you get asked to do that? No, me either. No, uh, no, no. I, I don't know the credentials. I mean, apparently 1996, you know, we're a champ doesn't really get you. Oh, you know. was it 96? Wow, 30 years ago. Huh? Uh, yeah. Uh, Jason, Alvaro Bautista has a press conference scheduled for tomorrow, I think at 3 o'clock, which is Thursday, May 4th, at 3 o'clock local time, because they're at Catalonia, to discuss his future. Mm-hmm. Does he retire? Does he stay? What do you think? I don't think he retires. I don't. I don't think he's going to run away from any opportunities. I don't think that if they made the rules more fair, or maybe fair is not the right word, if they adopted the rules to where the other manufacturers could be close, I don't think Batista is ever going to shy away from a fight at all. But I don't think he retires, no. And like when when I keep reading it, and it's like getting all this, like so many people like, oh, what's he going to do? Is he going to retire? Is he not going to retire? Can I ask you an honest question about Batista, even though – he is incredible, like taking nothing away from him. It just doesn't seem like a lot of times when these kind of announcements happen, you kind of look at it like, okay, a Rossi, a Stoner, um, a Lorenzo. Um, like when we start talking about what is a decisive decision amongst the greats, like it's kind of a bigger deal. I don't know why, but I just can't kind of put Batista in that category. Like when Carlos Checa retired it was just like he kind of just said it at a, like hey i'm this is my last you know year it wasn't like it's some big i, I don't know I, I feel like it's 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 cool but i don't think i don't I, yeah think i think i know where you're retire. going i think, you know I think what the I mean? question like, is why have a press conference about it why not just come out on social media and just tell us you're you're staying you're going why have he's won he's, he's won what did he win a 250 championship and he's won motor g and, and he's won a world superbike championship so like if if a johnny ray comes out and says, hey, I'm going to have a press conference just to let everybody know. You kind of know where that's going to go. When Johnny is calling a press conference, if he ever did, I don't even know if Johnny is that guy that would do that. I don't know. But with Batista, it's kind of like, like, are you racing or not racing next year? Like, That's basically, I feel like, what people want to know. Maybe in Spain, it's a much, much bigger deal that Batista is going to have a press conference to announce that he's either retiring or continuing on with Ducati. But I, I don't, I, it just doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal to hmm. me. Yeah. I mean, other than the fact that the dominoes, right? Like if Batista's out, then you don't have to balance super bikes, in my opinion. <laughs> like you don't really need to. And then, 
also who gets the ride, right? Because, you know, you got to look to world super sport and say, well, wait a second, Bulaga, you know, who's, I think he's leading the world championship. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Does he deserve the ride? Um, you know, we know that there's a couple of fast people over there that Ducati's not looking at, you know, that, that I don't know. Anyway, I, I kind of agree with you. It's like, do we really need a press conference? But okay, he's got it scheduled. People are going to show up and, and we'll find out, I guess, tomorrow what his plans are. And I think he's going to retire, but you know, we'll just, I kind of we'll feel like when you, when the more we talk about it, the more like maybe retirement is what he's going to do because I don't think it would be that difficult for them to just send out a press release saying that Batista has signed for another year and then he's he's back on, right? Like that's kind of what you'd expect. If he's holding a press conference to tell everybody that he's going to stay with Ducati, I'm just like, well, that was that's a like, waste of time. Yeah, I know what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, because he's on a one year deal. Weird. Everybody, if you didn't know, he, he only re upped for one more year. So that kind of said at the time when he re upped for one year, that said to me one of two things: either he's contemplating retiring. Or Ducati, for some reason, wasn't committed to the guy who just won them the championship. And I found that second bit kind of hard to believe. Yeah, I don't think that's going to Ducati, happen. Ducati's pretty loyal. For Maybe for he just years. comes in to say, that this is what I'm predicting. I'm predicting him saying, I've decided to go one last year one in year. Ducati. I'm going to retire with Retirement Ducati tour. at the end of next year, blah, blah, blah. That's what I'm expecting. Um, I would be shocked if he comes in tomorrow and goes, I'm done. I don't think that's the case. Um so I think anyways, the, I, I think the yeah. headache, Jason, if you were to say I'm retiring next year, I mean, you're literally going to be faced with a season and a half of retirement questions all the time too. Which, yeah. Yeah. But knows? I mean, Hey, it's, whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll find out tomorrow. That's a good thing. But I it's mean. his narrative. He's kind of created that. Right. So totally. yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So Greg, MotoGP happened over the weekend as we've already discussed a little bit. And I think that there's a few things that you and I are going to look at in this podcast and go, well, that the coming out party for KTM obviously was incredible. They had, a, I mean, what a weekend KTM had with Binder winning the sprint race. Um, Bagnaya finishing second and Miller ended up third in the sprint race. So, like, when you start to look at it, um, I, I don't know where to start off with the weekend. We'll obviously talk about some of the controversies and things that were going on. Um, I, there's a couple things, and I always like to start it this way, that really struck me. It seems like right now there's only, you know, that one Ducati just kind of seems to be up front every week. Bedzeki had a horrendous weekend. Marini didn't have that good a weekend. Martin was there, but he's been crashing so much. He just didn't look like the normal Martin. He looked like he was, he needed to put points on the board. That's what it seemed like to me this weekend. And, um, and KTM, man, they shined. And I'll tell you, if this Bender kid continues to get to qualifying too, without having to go through Q1, if they get him up to speed quicker in the beginning of the weekend, I mean, honestly, I know this is going to sound crazy. He's he's kind of my pick to win the championship. I don't think he makes big mistakes. And if he can consistently run himself up in that top five, like he is showing he can do when he finishes, I he's going to be a he's going to be a big problem for these guys. He has amazing control of that motorcycle. Like Unreal. when I see Brad Binder ride, he reminds me of Gary McCoy. When Gary yeah. McCoy was on a Yamaha 500, I don't know why, but when I see yeah. Bender, for some reason, just the riding style, the control of it. Of course, if you don't know who Gary McCoy is, I mean, he was the king of just lighting it up on on acceleration. He, Gary McCoy, had um, YouTube it, kids. It's pretty yeah, fun. YouTube There's some good it. YouTube yeah. stuff to watch. Yep, yep. But but there were a couple moves, especially some overhead shots uh, in the feature race, where you would see Brad Bender closing in on Bagnaya on the brakes. 
And you could, from an overhead shot, see that he was sideways going into that yes. corner and still under control. And the thing about Brad is he's not doing it at full lean angle. He's doing it at kind of a safer lean angle. And it was, uh, it's pretty crazy. It's, I, I, the only thing I can say, Jay, is I, if you look at, he keeps showing up on Friday, okay, and he's yep. off the pace, and then they figure it out Saturday. What that indicates to me is that KTM with Brad Binder doesn't have a great baseline setting like some of the other manufacturers have really good baseline settings. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like they're having to find their way around every different racetrack they go to, even though they've been years of data. Now, the problem is the bike keeps changing and changing and changing and they add new parts. And so it's not like it's a super bike. You know, Stan Boley can basically just go to his computer and say, this is what we're going to make this, you know, progressive, you know, fresh and lean progressive Yamaha. It's going to be this gearing. It's going to be this spring for, and they're in the ballpark immediately. They may make a yep. couple tweaks here or there because things have gotten a little bit better. The tires are different, all that kind of stuff. But you, if you show up and you're way off on Friday and then you win the sprint race on Saturday, that tells me the baseline setting. So yeah, in a fantasy world, if all of a sudden they woke up and Brad Bender had a, had a baseline setting that kept him competitive and would allow him to get into Q2, I could definitely see hundred percent. He's got, he's, he's smart. He knows. Yeah. And if you listen, all right, so so go over, I'll go, I'll go, or, uh, I'll go sprint race if you want me to. Brad Bender won the sprint race over Bag Nye and Jack Miller. Yeah. Uh, like we said, and that's the second one Bender's won this year. Didn't he win in Argentina too? I think he won the sprint yes. race as well. So that's pretty impressive. And then Jorge Martin was fourth, the most unlucky guy in the paddock right now. Miguel Oliveira was fifth, mm. um, who's got to just be frustrated right now. Pedrosa ended up sixth, incredible, only 1.7 back. Then you had, Vinales, Zarco, Bedzecki ninth, Luca Marini ended up tenth. But you got to remember, only the top nine guys there they get the they get the points. Quadraro back in twelfth in this one, Greg. And then in the actual Grand Prix, Antonio beat Quadraro. Yep. I mean, he beat him. I know. In the in the GP, it was Bagnaya, Binder, and Miller again. So the same three guys on the podium. It's a little different order. Martin fourth again. Aleish ended up fifth. Man, Aprilia looks like they kind of tease you, like they're going to just be dominant on a weekend between him and Vinales. They were quickest on Friday. Oliveira looked amazing. Um, and we'll talk about what happens to Oliveira. But in the race situations, Aprilia, they just look like they struggled. Marini ended up sixth in this over Pedrosa, Marquez, Nakagami, and Quattararo. Again, 10th for, for Quattararo after he got, you know, after he fell and he got long lap penalty and he had to go through it again. And, you know, when you look at it, Greg, he legitimately probably would have finished eighth had he not had to go through that long lap penalty again because he was only 14. He was only, what, less than a second behind Alex Marquez, who finished eighth. Um, Morbidelli, Dizzy Antonio 12th, Fernandez, Brottle, and Raul Fernandez ended up uh, running out your uh, rounding out your, your points, guys. Um, so I think, Greg, like the big thing that we got to look at on the weekend is there has been a an outlash of stuff going towards race direction. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's so miserable. Even I made a tweet about it because they're, they're honestly ruining the sport. You know, you talk to a lot of refs in football or you see, you see interviews. They don't want to be part of the game. They don't want to be part of it. They don't even want to be, they just want the things to play out and do their, their stuff. It's not like that. Like, so we can look at the first few things and I'll bring them up. You give me your, your two cents. We don't need to go into every single one of them, but I look at right off the bat. I look at Morbidelli, um, 
on Saturday's sprint race, try to go underneath Marquez. Whether I don't really even think he was trying to go underneath him. I think he was just trying to hold his position. Just he was in there. He's kind of on the curbings on the inside. You've got what twenty guys trying to go into a thirty-five mile an hour corner in the second corner. Um, it's going to get busy in there. I didn't think that anything more Bedelli did was was bad. I just think it was a race incident. It happens. Agreed. And then you look at the Oliveira, Quadraro, Benzeki thing. I don't even know how they give Quadraro a penalty. Again, you got the same corner, a bunch of bikes going in there. Nobody, nobody's trying to make positions. Everyone's just kind of trying to hold positions. But when people are checking up in front of you and things, again, you want to promote that the racing is going to be close, tight. You want to have all this stuff. And then you penalize a guy for there's no intent there of Quadraro. Can you? I can't think of a time where I can honestly remember ever Quadraro being kind of being kind of the guy where people look at and go, "Well, he just did a stupid move," and you know, like there's nothing to fall back on that on to where they like Quadraro did nothing. Let me ask you this: off of the start, corner one, corner two, corner three, what's the riskiest place you can be? In the middle of the pack. When you qualify where he's qualifying right now, it's just really rough. The middle of the pack and on on the outside. Like, the thing is, if he didn't have anybody on the outside of him, what would have happened? He would have just tucked the front and crashed. Like, that's it. The fact that someone someone was on the outside and was a victim of that crash, it's like, that's just just unfortunate. That's just unlucky positioning. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, it's, not everybody can be up the inside. I understand that, but that's the thing I don't understand about it because I saw the replays over and over and over again. I I don't. Maybe you saw something differently than I did. I don't remember Quadraro actually touching anybody. He checked up and he tucked yeah. the front, and then yeah. he crashed out. Who was on the outside of him? Was it Oliveira? Was Oliveira? It? Yeah, it was on but the Zeki outside. But was of just him. to the inside of him, and if you you know they have the they have the uh, brake guards, and so you, if you didn't know any better, you would have thought that possibly. Quadraro's brake lever hit the back of Bedzeki's bike, and that's why he lost it. But again, you've got a group of people like these guys that are making these decisions are blowing me away. Of like, man, it's tight in there. That's what happens. It's, there's no intent. None of these guys. If anything, we live in a world now where everybody gets along far too well in a paddock. Like that's one of the biggest things you see. Like, you know, you're 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 not going to have these guys all go to dinner. They train together. They do all this stuff. These guys aren't looking to, to, to hurt each other or take each other out on purpose. I mean, the only one that I've really seen this year that has been horrendous was Marquez's one at Portimao. That is the only one that I can sit there and go, that was really bad. But the worst one of them all by far is penalizing Bagnaya for the pass on Miller. That oh my God, was dude. a joke. Like, and, and, you know, I'm going to say something because you brought Freddie's name up earlier. And Freddie Spencer's a guy I really like. Like, I have had some great conversations with him. The sad thing for me is that Freddie Spencer's MO for a lot of people is going to be him as a FIM steward that's making these crazy, insane calls. When Freddie Spencer is, I mean, a MotoGP legend, the guy did something that Nobody's done winning a 500 Grand Prix championship and a 250 Grand Prix championship in the same year. Think about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about somebody right now trying to win a Moto2 championship and a MotoGP championship at the same time. It just isn't even plausible, right? So the thing is, is what he did as a rider was incredible. Do you know that he probably wouldn't have won his world championship if they had the MotoGP stewards in there of today? Because he, he punted Kenny. At Harama, I remember it. And Kenny still holds a grudge after 100 years, still right? Still so, holds a grudge, yeah. Yeah, so 
the thing is, is it's like, where is it that you can't just sit there and go, I can see stuff that's egregious. I am, I am probably on the other end of the spectrum. And I realize that stuff happens. It's motorsports. It's, it happens. Nobody's trying to do anything intentional. I don't believe. I don't even think Marquez was trying to do something intentional. He made a really bad, bad, bad decision, right? So the thing you got to look at is now, now, I honestly think this is the first time and we've discussed this. I am actually seeing riders come out against it. Like Bender didn't want to pass in the last corner because he knew that he'd get sanctioned. Begnai has come out and said, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to do this every time we pass each other, what are we doing? Like this is, he said, like, be what consistent. is actually He's, happening? Yeah. He, he said he wants to see consistency. Yep. Great. Don't you think that what Miller did to Martine was way worse than what Bagnaya did to Miller? 100%. I mean, 100%. what are we doing? All right. It's so, insane. So here, here's the thing that's interesting. I'm not going to tell you who my source is, but I had a conversation with someone key in the process at yeah. MotoGP. Freddie is not alone. It is a I group agree with that. decision. Yeah. It's a group yep. decision. What I was told was that behind the scenes as a group, the riders are asking for more sanctions and individually when it happens to them, they are saying no. And so they are listening to these riders as a group saying we need to have more sanctions. We need to have people be safer and all this kind of stuff until it happens to them, until they're the ones that are the aggressor right now. Here's my problem with all that. If I have a kid and my kid does something wrong and I take away their Legos or I send mm-hmm. them to their room. Why am I doing that? What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to punish them for bad behavior so they have good behavior. Mm-hmm. I see these sanctions, like these these penalties in the race are supposed to have the same effect, but they don't. How no. is how are you you're telling Peco or or even worse, you're telling Quateraro, by the way, you can't crash anymore because if someone's on the outside of you, you've ruined their race. And yep. that's that's not their problem that they weren't in the right position at the right time and got bad luck. That's your problem for crashing yeah. him out. So we're going to penalize you. I don't care if the door was open on Jack Miller and you had the momentum and you were in there and Jack turned in and had to stand it up. That's not the way con- they didn't even make they didn't even make contact. I know it's like that's not the way. My problem is is you're not actually using these penalties for what they're supposed to be designed to do, which is to curb behavior. It's the same thing we talked about in Moto3 when all these dudes are Cadillacing around at schoolyard speed, waiting for a tow and qualifying, and then they get handed penalty after penalty, but yet the same person, the same group of people keep doing the same thing. You're not curbing. What do you do, Jay? What's the answer? You know the answer, yeah. right? The answer well, to that actual behavior that's dangerous is is penalize the team owners. They'll get it straightened out. But doing well, this crap in race like this and having it inconsistent. Oh, when Pecco so sat up, I was like, I literally said to myself, okay, but in case you didn't see the race, Pecco goes aggressively underneath Jack Miller. It, it looked like they were as, Never made as close contact. to contact. The moment that it happens, Pecco puts his hand up and says, I apologize. Miller throws his hand up in the air like F you. Blah, blah, For whatever blah. reason, I don't right? Know why They're all he did friends that. afterwards because if you watch yeah. after the that, you know, like they, the the yeah. stuff unseen on whatever they were talking yeah. about it, Bender clearly said, "Look, man, if I had made a pass, we I would have cleaned both of us out. So there's no way I was going to do it." But I think you're right, Jay. You know that he's got sanctions in mind because Brad Bender's the type of racer that if these things don't happen, he probably would have, which which makes the sport more spectacular. Yep. The thing I don't understand is, is that the, all these safety advancements, racing's still dangerous. 
Human beings are still involved. Human beings are fallible. They make mistakes. Like, can you imagine going to work and be penalized for every time your TPS report is ass and you're going to get a, you're going to get a penalty for it. Like this is, I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it's, it's just overreach again. I think that they're trying to water down the sport in the yep. name of safety. And I think it's, it's absolute it, positive horseshit. It's, it's bad, fresh. dude. It's, it's just bad. It's just, it's, you got to let these guys race. Um, oh, and it's going to get worse. Jason, did you hear about the, the, that they tested on bike communication on, on, yeah. on, Monday? I did. Did you, re- I did, did, see you did you see that, the interview? I didn't see the interview, but the only thing I like about it, the mm-hmm. only thing I like about it is that if I'm in the, if I'm in the pit box and you're my rider and there's been a, a, an engine blown on the back straightaway and you're coming, you know, you're coming through the last corner. I can say, hey, you know, G-Dub, there's a bike that's blown up on the back straightaway. You know, just be a little, be a little, like, see if anything like that. Or maybe there's two guys that have crashed in a corner. There's yellow flags out in turn seven, G-Dub, when you get back okay. around there. Whatever, right. right? That's the so, only thing I like about it. All right. So here's the situation. I, I'll try to explain it in under five minutes. So after there were some safety issues last year, or mm-hmm. two years ago, right during COVID, uh, MotoGP instituted an LED panel. It's required at all tracks. So the LED panel has now these panels are hanging all over the racetrack. They are in addition to the flaggers. And the riders, if you've noticed, there haven't been any big safety issues, no real complaints about it. All the riders have been very complimentary about the LED system as opposed to having this in-ear communication. So What's happened is, is that the first iteration of this that probably won't happen until 2024 is they'll be on by communication with um, pre-read um, warnings or pre like there, there will be like recordings. OK, so someone like me would say caution red flag in turn five or whatever it's going to be or red flag is out or oil on the track or something. And they said that the system they're working on the system to be so sophisticated, Jay that they can do it by geolocating the rider on the racetrack. So if some incident happens in sector one and you're in sector two, you're not going to know about it until you're in sector four, say, okay. like four, then yep. one, you know what I mean? Like they'll be able to do that. So the first iteration is going to be pre-recorded safety warnings that will come from race control. So if the red flag comes out, they'll hear red flag, red flag, red flag, all that kind of stuff. The second iteration is the possibility of opening it to what you're talking about, having your crew communicate with the rider. The third iteration is the rider communicating, you know, back. I will tell you this, okay? And I and this is not an ego stroke or anything like that, but in race live, as far as I know, I'm the only person so far in the history of mankind that I'm aware of that used to commentate the races live. I had an earpiece right. in, I was listening yeah. to commentary and I would talk during the race. I did that 97 through 02. And then I did it again in 03, again in 07 and some other times, right? Yeah. It, 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 it can't be done. They have already, they're already so wrapped up in all the little buttons and knobs and all this crap that they have that we didn't have Jay. You know what I mean? I mean, think about, you know, you get into the corner, you get mid corner, you got to hit a button. It lowers the thing. It springs up. You got to start devices, all kinds of stuff. If you think that your rider is going to be able to speak to you and maintain the same lap time, especially if they're in the middle of a race. I mean, look, these, these people could be superhuman, but all I'm saying is, is I know that at racetracks like road America, I would lose about a one to 1.2 seconds a lap when I had to talk. 
you just can't maintain the same level of concentration. It makes it really difficult. Yeah. But I think, I I hope I I never do the communication back The communication in the helmet. I totally agree with. I I did. So, so I'll tell you, I did the Rolex 24 hour where they talk to you nonstop, right? Got a spotter for on your bumper, on your bumper, inside bumper, like like that kind of talk. Yeah. I used to have these guys cracking up on the radio because, you know, I was in a Daytona prototype, which is doing 190 mile an hour. And I'm coming up to Porsche GT cars that are doing 140 mile an hour, 130 mile an hour. So I'm going on the back straight, if you can imagine it, Daytona coming off the turn two banking and I'm headed down towards the chicane. And my car is going 50 to 60 mile an hour quicker than the car I'm passing. And I'm getting up alongside of it. And there's a guy up on top of, you know, the main building at Daytona going car on your left. And I'm like, yeah, duh. Like I just, I <laughs> just passed like, yeah. and then he's like, you're clear. And I'm like, yeah, duh. You know, like mm-hmm. I didn't. Yeah. So there's a lot of extra chatter that you don't need. Like, like I understand that that's the car world and that's how they do things and whatever, but I would definitely not need somebody in my ear telling me that, that, Oh, you're catching that guy. If I, if the guy's a second ahead of me and I see that I'm catching him, I can see that I'm catching him. I don't need you telling me or being in my ear or giving me something like you say, G-Dub, that's going to be distracting you in any kind of way that's going to make your lap times get worse, right? Because it does require thought time. And I've tried teaching with helmet to helmet and I don't mind it, but you know what you end up doing most of the time? Somebody talks to you or you talk to them and they go, huh? And by the time you say, huh, you're already past what I need you to think about working on anyways. Uh, yeah. So it's it's almost like, all right, we got to wait till we come back around that next lap. If you can't understand or you can't get something that's a clear message through, uh, it makes it hard. And they've got a, they've got communication on the dashes anyways, don't they, Greg? So like they'll they say- Communication on the dashes, these new LED boards they have up, they, you know, obviously corner yeah. workers, pit boards. I mean, I, it, it kind of, the interview that I saw was with Carmelo Espaleta. I think he's a junior, right? The young, I mean, his English is flawless, man. I guarantee you he, yep. he, he went to college in the States or something, but it kind of felt like, well, we're still going to, we're still going to pursue this, but I'm not really sure it's the most necessary thing in the world. You know, the other thing to consider Jay is that you have motorcycles that have a minimum decibel limit requirement, meaning a MotoGP bike can't be under a certain, it can't be quieter than, I, I want to say it's like 110, 111 dB. So it's part of the program in MotoGP, right? It's like yeah, yeah. Formula One, if you go to a Formula One race, they want you to feel, you know, the 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 exhaust. Same thing in MotoGP. If you go to Coda and you sit in those grandstands, you feel those bikes, especially off the start. So if you're right. in the middle of a start or you're in the middle of a pack and you have three or four or five or eight bikes that are all screaming at 110 plus dB, how how loud do you have to make that communication? Even when you have, you know, earplugs in that have communication built into them, like more like a car. And then the other issue is, and this is the issue I always had when I was doing my stuff in 97 to 2000, is I was connected to the bike, connected right. to the bike with yeah. wires. Yeah, I mean, and I, mean, I, yeah. I had a breakaway. I never tested it, but you know what I mean? So I had wires coming out of the back of my leather. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, we got off on that topic. It's just something for the future that they're looking at for MotoGP yeah. is that on by communication. But that's the thing. If you have that on by communication now and you can get a message directly to the rider at any time, how, how abusive is that going to get if these penalties keep going further and further and further? It's well, like, can you imagine if they came on a radio and said, hey, uh, Pecco, they're pissed off at you for passing Miller. You got to give up a spot. He, there's going to be a lot of emotion there that he's going to have. He's, he's going to want to express like, 
True. Hey, it's bullshit. You know, yeah. like yeah, that's that's bullshit. Like, go fight it. I'm not giving up a spot. And then you got this whole other narrative of issues. And the thing is, is they make these decisions so quickly. They didn't even let Quadraro know that he was going to have a right through penalty, and they had all that downtime. And then he didn't find out about his right through until like the first lap of the restart. And it's like he's probably going, "What am I getting that for?" Like, I don't even understand. And then they can't even use good discretion, and they give it to him again. You know where they had that where they had that um, long lap penalty? It's coming onto the front straightaway where all the bikes that are going to be going through the corner in a normal fashion are all going to be running wide into the guy that's actually coming back onto the track. And mm -hmm. so if you watch that video, he's looking over to his left to try to do it safely. And yeah, his tires go over the white line. Are we not smart enough where we could use a little bit of discretion there where we could go, <laughs> hey, I mean, that's the world we live in. It's like, like, just use a little discretion here, okay? The guy's already gone through it once. And now you're going to make him go through it again because he's ultimately trying to be safe. There's there's nothing in Quadraros that's going like, ooh, I'm going to gain an advantage here by going over this white paint, you know, two inches that, you know, like I'm not supposed to. It's like he's looking over to his left to make sure that when he gets on track, he's doing it the safest way possible. And, yeah, it wears you out. I mean, it's it's really – Well, hold on, Jay. Think, think about this yeah. safety-wise, right? So you're saying that Pecco is too aggressive on Jack Miller, so we're going to give him a penalty. Yeah. And the safest thing to do is to tell him you need to give up a position. So I don't trust you to make a pass. I think obviously the, the pass you did was wrong, but I trust you from a safety standpoint to you to pick wherever you want on the racetrack to figure out how you're going to give up a position. Now, Pecco did the right thing. He gets onto the front straightaway. He pulls off to the side. Everybody's kind of driving up the inside there, and he just you know makes his way back. What I'm saying is that inconsistency of the messaging as well it's like you're not it's, responsible enough to make this pass, but you're responsible enough to make a good, safe choice on where you're going to drop back. But yet, sometimes some people get long lap penalties. Other times, people are going to get a penalty the next race. I will it's say this. The consistency. I will say that I, the consistency is 1,000% agreed on. But if I was to say to you, Greg, give me the top three things that this GP was known for this weekend. I'm gonna. Uh, these are my, my order would be Pedrosa. Everybody talked about him. Race direction. And and Peck and, and and the KTMs to me, KTMs, nobody's yeah. nobody's really talking about Peco winning because yeah. there's so many other things. And unfortunately, race direction would be in that top three. If you ask most people, what did you get take from the Jerez race? They're gonna be like, race direction is a joke. Like it was a joke, and that shouldn't be the topic of conversation on Monday. It should be what a great Grand Prix we just had. And Peco was in no man's land on Friday, Jason. Nowhere. He was like twelfth or yeah, something in free unreal. practice or qualifying practice one. And what what a great effort for them to dig deep. He rides apparently like in reading his comments. He reads a lot like you do. He's like, I need to feel the front tire move. If this mm. front tire isn't moving or I can't feel it, I'm not comfortable. And I know it that just, front end feel it, is it lets, a it lets you know where your limit is, you. GW. You know, right. yeah, it lets you yeah. know where your limit is. And a lot of people just don't understand that. A lot of people don't. They don't fathom the idea of feeling. Well, guys, the front in tire my that we're so slow, so. Jay. We don't like if the front moves. It's like if my if I feel my front move, I'm like I'm crashing. I mean, it's not love, like that anymore. But that's the way it is yeah. when you ride it at the level that I ride at. It's not, you know. That's why you see like a Brad Bender going in sideways, you know, at the fastest speed he could possibly go to get there to slow the thing down in the shortest distance he can get there, and the bike goes sideways. It marvels. It's it's you know people are just like oh. I think I was telling you this off. You know, we weren't talking about it, but you know, Bill Burr, the comedian, went to Coda. And he had a great experience. He got to go into the Ducati pits. He got to hand out a trophy, but he got to go on the track Saturday and ride a ride a Ducati. 
and in the way which he tells his story on his Monday morning podcast after the CODA uh, event, he is so, I mean, the dude's got two kids and he's done amazing, com- you know, comedy specials and done all kinds of stuff. And yeah. He said that riding around Coda was one of the best experiences of his life and something he's going to hold on to when he's on his deathbed. Yeah, and I think great. that, you know, like, I think it's hard sometimes for guys at your level, at your riding level to understand just how, um, magnificent people's eyes are wide looking at the skill and the ability, you know? So you, you used to say this to me and I, I'll never forget it. Cause Freddie used to say the same thing. Freddie would say, you know, you're in a rhythm when you go into a corner and you go front end tuck, pick up the throttle next corner, front end tuck, pick up the throttle. Like, and when, you know, when you open up the throttle, you save the front. He said some, some tracks he would get into such a rhythm where he would just ride the thing till the front end started to move, pick it up off the edge of the tire. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, and my, my thing is what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Oh yeah. What are you talking about? Lose the front. And that's the thing that's so amazing by it. And so, you know, no, pretty cut. Like I, I, dude, I think I, I'm going to tell you this right now. Okay, from what Miller says and what Binder says, I think Pecco is even faster if you put him on a KTM right now. Yeah, but we can say that every year about something. You know, yeah. we can say that every year. I'm about just saying because of front end feel, the way Pecco that. likes yeah. front end. No, I, feel I, I agree. Like I agree, but he might lose feel somewhere else that he's got it on the Ducati, and it might balance itself out. You just never really know. Let's there talk about the, Moto Two real go. quick. Yeah. GW Moto Two. Um, unreal yeah. weekend. Sam Lowe's. I mean, what, what Sam Who? did this weekend? Who? Who? Yeah. I Who? know people probably think that I would be like, well, how come, how come, how come Sam, first so of well. all, how come Sam hasn't been on this podcast? I just get a text message that on the pipes, the pipe dreams podcast with Rispoli yeah. and Corey, they just launched their episode six and Sam they, Lowe's is on it. And how many times is they, Sam your they boy? They poached him. They poached him Dude, from this me. This is unbelievable. He, Our he audience goes right out, now he goes is out throwing to, he go, things hey, at the radio. He, he goes out to Chuck Waller with me, and next thing you know, those two punk kids poached him and took him over there. And they, I, I'm actually looking forward to listening to that. Yeah, Corey too. Alexander and James Raspoli doing the Pipe Dreams podcast. It's, uh, you know, they're going to have a completely different way of doing their podcast, which is great that people will have a they, they get a little bit more out of some of these writers. It's really really fun. So it'll be fun to listen to it. But what I know Sam has gone through for the better part of the last nine months. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible, but I don't, I don't even think it's the fact that he won is one thing. Um, how he did it's another thing. Greg, he was a half a second quicker in qualifying than anybody half a second in moto two. That's insane. Like half a second and then gets pole position leads every lead every single lap and literally pulled away from Acosta. The guy that I think that they were probably already giving the trophy to before the race started, especially being in Spain just pulled away from him and at one point had it up to almost three seconds or did have it at three seconds and was just managing the race. And I've talked to him quite a bit, uh, Sam, that is, I've talked to him quite a bit. He's over the moon because the first three rounds were in talking with him. were like, look, don't like, let's just get points. Let's not do something silly. He's had some issues in qualifyings and things like that. So from my perspective, just as his friend, it was like, look, I know we've got a 10th. That's not where we want to be. I know we got a seventh. That's not where we want to be. But we've got points on the board and we haven't done some of the things that maybe Sam would have done in the past where, you know, tossing the thing down the road and getting nothing for it. Now it's like all of a sudden he goes out and wins. He had, he had the pace of all, at all the other three rounds, Greg. He actually had the pace. He got boxed out at Portugal and was like 19th on, on the first lap. Uh, again, didn't get the best qualifying, but he had a bad start there. Argentina, he got caught out with a bad 
tire choice because it was going wet to dry and he never got in and out quick enough to get the slicks on. These are all mistakes that he will tell you, hold his hand up and say they were, they were just as much his fault as anybody's. And then um, at Coda, same thing. He crashed on the outlap of qualifying and never put a lap in. So all three first races had, had dark points, but there was positives in the fact that he could run the paces, the leaders and that Jerez kept his nose clean in practices was quickest he in qualifying was it was a joke how fast he went dominates this field and you know hopefully that'll be something that'll carry over for him acosta ends up second over lopez arbolino aaron canet was fifth aaron canet broke the lap record on friday more uh friday afternoon i think it was and then never really found that pace again dixon chantra arenas philip salich aldegar garcia gonzalez baltus joe roberts ends up 14th tulevich ends up 15th last point paying position. Um, SDK fell over. He he actually looked pretty good. Your boy Ayagura fell over, which was a bummer. Um, so yeah, Moto2, I think it was uh, it was good to see Sam obviously do as well as he did. Point standings right now in uh, in Moto2 G-Dub are, are going to see Acosta leading over Arbolino, Canet, Lopez, and Sam jumps up to, uh, to fifth. So yeah, did you watch Moto3? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Moto three as usual. What a last lap! Is what a lap. I mean, what's crazy about it is it's like you just it defies what you think. You you sit there and you go, how are how are all of these sort of six seven guys at the front all going to make it? But Ortola wins again over Alonso, uh, Masia, Sasaki, Rueda, Holgado. Your championship point leader coming in was sixth. Artigas, Suzuki, Anchu, and and Marrera round out your top 10 again crazy last lap crazy last three or four laps of that race um and uh and artola right now i think i believe artola is leading the championship right so well, i'm pulling it up for you oh no Halgado is sorry Halgado is actually leading over morera and artola but it's only four so, points right it's four points it's only four points and then yeah. ortola who's who's literally wasn't in Portugal, zero points in Argentina. That's right. Has only finished two races and won both of them and is, is third in the championship. Amazing. Isn't that amazing? It is. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. I, I just so. I love the way Ortola was able to kind of position himself, put himself in the right spots, and make some really good passes there on that last lap. I, I didn't really think he had a shot at it, the way he was positioned going into the last lap, but he just did all the right things and he looks like he's got tons of control over that bike which he really does you know yeah. as well as i do man you know you, you go from you know a 120 front and a 200 rear to those teeny tiny little i mean what are they 110s <laughs> or 100 yeah, you know maybe a 110 in the in the back a 90 in the front i mean those things it, it gives you a lot different feel and and there's so many more things like you know one of the greatest things to do if you're alert you know a new rider is get on a bike that's going to give you tons of feedback on a track like an sv650 right if you make a sloppy downshift, there's no real penalty for it, but you're going to feel it immediately. The way the yeah. chassis moves around, everything else. That's kind of what Moto3 reminds me of. It's like honing these young riders, not only to refine their racing skills, but to really refine how they react to the motorcycle. And you got to be smooth and you got to do, because if you're too violent with the thing, right on the deck you go. Yeah, yeah. It's great yeah. racing. No, it's great, great racing. racing. Unreal. Yeah. How'd you do in fantasy this week? Let's take a look at MotoGP Fantasy. So for those of you that are wondering, we do have a Greg's Garage pod with Jason Pridmore Fantasy League. You go to the main page, you go to more, you go to Game Hub, or you can just simply type in fantasy.motogp.com. And 
you know, I'm, I climbed the ladder a little bit, Jason, but I, I didn't really do all that well. I think more people suffered than anything else. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there were, I, I'm kind of at the point now where I'm kind of trapped because, you know, like I have Peko, I will not give Peko up because I know what's going to happen. If I trade him away, his value is going to go up. I won't be able to get him back because of the money situation. Mm-hmm. We started at 15 million. I'm at 15.3 after the race, but I was at like 14.7. So some people made the move. Like I have Grassini racing as my team. Uh-huh. I know that a buddy of mine, Dan Yaza, he, he ended up trading out and got KTM. KTM team crushed it for him. You know, so he had like Ducati as a constructor, which was great. His riders did nothing. But I mean, if it wasn't for Peko, Peko scored me 59 points. But then I had Maverick in gold. He scores me five and a half. Luca Marini got me 10 and a half. I mean, like Luca Marini and Alex Marquez, not Maverick's fault, Jason. If you saw Maverick Vinales DNF the long race, last lap his chain came off. Yeah, wasn't his fault. His chain. It was not his fault. So I can't, I can't, you know get too upset but i'm up to 60th overall how did you do <laughs> yeah let's just not talk about me i it's brutal dude how bad i am at this like i am really really bad i didn't think i could go any further back i am as far back as i've been all year which is mm. I, I got up as high as i had been all year at the last one uh yeah i'm, I'm not great well here's the good news folks if you join our podcast that, my boy Troy's mo- leading it now That'll add more people. Hold on. Well, that if you if you join our our league, that'll add more people, and that means mm-hmm. Jason will still slide further back in the standings because oh, we're yeah. now up to three hundred sixty six. No, dude, I stink. I am. That's brutal. Troy Simmons so is winning? leading Troy it, Simmons. and I'm getting yeah, and I'm getting like yeah, but Troy's know, also used two turbos, dude. Two turbos. Yeah, but he's leading. I, yeah, I, but like, we got eighteen I, races to go, and I think and I think I think second is Jack Roach. I think that's Jack's team. Is in oh, second. Oh yeah, yeah. He's used yeah. a turbo. Root, and, root dudes um, in third. He's used two turbos. Ricky yeah. Bobby Racing's used two. So the highest, the highest placing team right now is six six fifty eight forever, and that's yep. and they haven't no used turbos. a single turbo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doing good, right? Yeah. So that's one to yeah. look for for sure. Yep. Viking forty three slid to ninth. No, she's back up to ninth. Oh, back up to ninth. Back yeah. Up. yeah, yeah. She, so she's killing it. She hasn't used Again. any turbos either. The rising would be unbearable. Yep. Um. Yep. So JP forty three sponsor me is up to nineteenth. That's worth yeah. noting. Huh? I probably should. I should just quit and sponsor <laughs> JP forty three sponsor me. I should just do that. Kiss my assin is in thirtieth. So great. Some of the I literally you'll sit here and laugh if you just go down and you look at some of these. They're just awesome. So in thirty six though is Chuck Chuck Axon is in thirty sixth place and he hasn't he's used doing good yet. Yeah, he's Uncle doing really Skip's well. probably yeah. I'm horrible. So, anyways, but it's fun, man. I do enjoy it. You know, Simon's doing it. He's all into it, and yeah, it is fun. It's I just, mean, Heron's uh, involved in the league, and I talked to him, and he's like, "Man, is when he? you're yeah, and he goes, when you're involved in fantasy, it makes you look at GP in a totally different way." I'm like, "It's it does, it does, it really does." Yeah, because yeah. then you yeah, don't yeah, really have to have like G Dub. Yeah, sixty. Yeah, you're sixtieth. I just saw it. Yeah, I think I was been down kind of weird when. So. I see Derek Keys on here. Like, if you if you remember before, we would click on load more, and it would be all scrambled all over the yeah, place. Yeah, so, but fixed. they fixed it, so it's mm-hmm. good. All right, so let's move on, G Dub. Um, what do we have? We had World, su- we had World Superbike preview. World Superbike this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's going to be all predecessor on the weather as far as um, heat. 
I don't think anybody's going to get near Bautista at this place at all. I think he's going to run away with everything because he's able to run tires that are that are easier that's easier for him. Um, I don't really have much to say. It's going to be interesting. Hopefully, we can get Steve-O on here with us next week after, you know, maybe we can get Steve on here next week. I'll talk to him because it'll be after the round, uh, World Superbike. He can kind of tell us the pitter-patter in the paddock. I know um, I know VDM's out. Somebody's taking his place. I've never heard of the guy that's taken his spot, Greg, but I can find it for you in two seconds. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's in the German I, championship perhaps. I think he's Spanish actually. Um, but I mean, I think he races. Oh, okay. Yeah, I believe I, you know, anyways, it, it'll be interesting to see. I'm just looking to see if I can find it for you here and I can't, of course. Um, but I, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, this weekend goes. We know the Kawasaki's probably will struggle just because of front tire wear. And if it's hot, they're going to struggle. See what top Friday, rack does. Friday's going to be 80, J 80 sunny. Saturday will be 80 and sunny. Sunday, it looks like 74 and some rain. Wow. Well, rain would be good for them. Rain would be good for Yamaha and Kawasaki. Yeah. And Kawasaki. Yamaha, Kawasaki, pretty much everybody other than Ducati. <laughs> so, and Ducatis are unreal in the rain, but it's just... And, and it's, it's, it's such a shame. It's such a shame field. to... Such a shame for you and I to not really have like a big buildup, but... There's really nothing to build up. I mean, the guys won every race but one, I think, this year. And, and, it's, and Catalonia is just so fast. And the Catalonia front straightaway is, is so fast. You come onto it fast, you're going slightly downhill, and you just it has the fastest top speeds in MotoGP, like tied with Qatar. It's and yeah, it's insane. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it how, is. how about Supercross? So anyway, get on worldspk.com. So Supercross. By the way, um, there are some races on NBC. You can check NBC's um like World Superbike's got a couple of races on, but in Supercross, Jay, well, okay, this is interesting. I mean, I mean, dude, it's late in the season, I understand it, but Chase Sexton wins over Eli Tomac by 14 yeah. and a half seconds. I think once Cooper webs out, Eli Tomac, who got a great launch off the start, just kind of rolls out of it, plays the safe game. Ken Roxon, another 15 seconds behind Tomac Ugh, in third boring. place. Colt Nichols in yeah. fourth, 34 yeah. seconds back. I mean, whatever. Eli Tomac's leading this championship now by eight points over Chase Sexton. So I'm sorry, 18 points over Chase Sexton. So there's two rounds to go. So if Chase goes, you know, goes hog wild and, you know, wins all this stuff, as far as Tomac's concerned, he can just roll around in second and third. He'll be fine. On the 250 side. So it's 18 points. So isn't there a nine point difference between uh, first and third? I can't remember what. Is that what it is? So he can still. Tomac still has to ride, you know, Tomac still has to ride. He has to, you know, he has to finish second. Four, five, six. So if they tie, Tomac's got seven wins already. And if Chase wins out, he'll have six. Got it. Okay. That was my next question. So thanks. That's, Mm -hmm. that's perfect. So that's a a tiebreaker folks. That's the tiebreaker. That's if he finishes third twice and Sexton wins. I think Sexton will win out. I do. I think Tomac did his thing. The accident between Sansarello and Cooper Webb was was so sad to me because Cooper mm. was really having to go because he knew he had to try to make a push to try to win, to try to keep himself in the championship. Uh, what a bummer. Just just sad. Cooper basically just lost the front off the exit of a berm, and Sansarello had nowhere to go. And it was funny because you read that, you watch the interview with Sansarello afterwards, and you could just tell he was devastated. He's like, I don't even know how I finished the race. I felt so bad. And that's, you know, that kid's been hurt a lot. So that was definitely a shame. But for right now, you know, the thing is a lot of these privateers, I'm looking at guys like Justin Hill. He is riding really, really well. 
right now. I mean, he beat Jason Anderson, Dean Wilson, Cian Cirillo. Cian Cirillo got got uh, connected with somebody at the start, was dead last. But still, a lot of these privateers right now, Greg, this is their time to shine because like guys like Kyle Chisholm and Josh Hill and Justin Starling, Morantz, they can actually go make these main events, make a little bit of money because we're seeing what we always see at the end of these years. A lot of attrition. Cooper Webb's out now. Justin Barsha, broken collarbone. He's out. Benny Bloss, broken collarbone. He's out. So, you know, the 450 mains now are a bunch of guys from eighth on, pretty much seventh on, that would normally be fighting to get themselves in, and they don't have to fight as hard anymore, which is great. I, I love that for them because this is the toughest series to finish, I think, healthy. And they're managing to do that. So that's, that's without great. question. 250 yeah. Hunter Lawrence wins by 3.8 yeah. seconds over Joe Shimoda, Jordan Smith, and Hayden Deegan in fourth. And that gives Hunter Lawrence the championship. He won every race but two where he finished third. What a season for Hunter Lawrence. I mean, yeah, just, really good. And they have one Dominant. race left. They're going to go to Salt Lake City there for that final. I think they're doing that East West shootout again. So yeah. Hayden Deegan is only two points ahead of Max Ansey for second place in that championship. That's probably an important, you know, important kind of battle to keep an eye on where Hayden Deegan has been like, he was like fourth, fourth, eighth, third, seven, 33, six. Like they're all single digits where you have Max Ancy who goes like two, three, five, two, five, 20 second, five, one, five. So it'll come down to that final race in Salt Lake city to determine who's second in that championship. Jason, I did not get my picks in again in our pulp MX fantasy, but how'd you do? <laughs> I right, good again. Yeah, I, I'm I'm up to 17th. DV934 is leading right now still. 18 point. No, sorry. Um, 28 point lead. So with what, two rounds to go, I think we said? Two rounds to go. DV934 is winning over Ed. Uh, Ed, like you said, don't know how to exactly say it. B-B-I-T-J second. <laughs> PM 140's third. I moved up to 17th. And I'm only 13 points behind Uncle Skip. And I don't really have much on Uncle Skip, you know, and when it comes to like, you know, fantasy stuff. But if I can catch him, knowing that I lost a round as well, I'm gonna I'm gonna let him hear it. So that'll be good. Prizes uh, are the else? same, by the way, in all both our fantasies. If DV934 hangs on, gonna win a Rye helmet and a set of Dunlop Q5 tires. Ed's gonna get yeah. a set of Q5 tires. PM140 would get. Q5S's, which is a carving, a canyon carving street tire based off the Q5. Really incredible. You and I have ridden them. No, I actually haven't yeah, ridden them. Right. You've ridden them. Joe White's ridden them. them. I haven't ridden them. I was at the launch and and listening to everybody's comments. And so great tires. So that's yeah, pretty cool. Great tire. Yep. Um, yeah. My but our buddy Doug, he's 12th. He's doing good. All right. Hey, so, next week we're gonna yeah. talk World Superbike Catalonia. Hopefully, we'll have something great to talk about. And we'll also discuss Supercross, and we'll preview MotoGP. Jason's favorite racetrack, Le Mans, is coming up Le in Mans. two weeks. Le Mans. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind Le Mans. It's pretty yeah. good. It's, yeah. it's not a bad spot. So it can be a bit yeah. misty at times. It could be a France. little. It's going to rain. It will rain, guaranteed. It's going to rain there. So, but uh, yeah. So enjoy your week, everybody. I hope you uh, enjoyed the podcast. Thanks for listening. As usual, G Dub, have an awesome week. We'll talk to you all next uh, next Tuesday or Wednesday. See ya. <laughs>